What would it feel like to be drawn to more and more space and time away from the things that drown us and separate us from our desires and goals? That's what we are digging into in today's show. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I am Alex Stewart and today is show 314, the final show for 2022. I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's joined me this year. I was taking some time this morning to reflect on the 50 shows that we have published this year uh, and the many stories that people have brought, the many vulnerabilities people have shared on their journey to either professional clarity to then support other people or cause-based work. Uh, Just so many incredible people have graced our show this year Uh, and so have you. You're here, you're listening, and I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time to share with me in the DMs or via a quick email or even with a little review on the iTunes or Spotify, wherever you listen to Lotox Life. Um, every second you take to either listen to the show, share a show that you think might be important to your friends and following. Um, I just can't thank you enough because that's how this show has grown to be what it is. We reach nearly a hundred thousand listeners a month around the world, uh, around 140 countries, uh, blows my mind and it's only going to get bigger from here. This is literally my favorite thing to do to bring you powerful stories of hope around, uh, better health for humans, regenerative health for our planet, uh, and all of the ways that we can get to those two goals, right? That is what leading a low-tox life is all about. And today on the show, I have a delightful human. Uh, Colleen Ryan Hensley is joining me today. And when I was reading through her work, um, her past as a Navy veteran, uh, and, um, how she suffered abuse in the Navy, her childhood, um, and then some of the activist work she did for veterans, uh, all the way right up to Capitol Hill. Then the work she started to do on, uh, mental health and brain training, uh, and high performance cognitive training for military veterans and their spouses and caregivers. Um, she has done a lot on a personal and a professional level. And what she now does is helps people work towards sober. And that doesn't necessarily mean drugs and alcohol only, but in today's conversation, as you'll see, we're talking about the things that zap us and sap the energy out of us instead of bringing us energy and bringing us towards the things we want to be doing more and feeling uh, the full spectrum of human feelings that we should be um, allowing ourselves to feel where we often numb ourselves, whether it's drinks, whether it's been watching uh, TV instead of tough conversations, whether it's um, 
hours and hours scrolling on social media instead of being part of valuable online communities in a positive way on social media. Um, you know, there are so many different ways that this can look and hashtag binge sober, I think is a really interesting one to finish the year on. I hope it instigates a little bit of reflection for you. I know it has for me on how I want to, um, maybe adjust a few things next year and, and make sure that I am feeling all the feelings instead of numbing all the feelings with all the modern ways that we can do that. Um, and noticing when I'm doing that. And I think that really is the key, the noticing and the awareness. And we actually talked today about a few examples about like little parts where, it's actually quite healthy to let go. Like I give an example of not giving a toss about the ingredients of the icing on a birthday cake at a friend's house. Uh, because I know that for the most part, I'm, I'm cooking from scratch and I'm eating well at home. And I'm, as long as I'm not going to be allergic to that food, uh, then I'm all good to go with the flow sometimes. And really, how do we then have a self-awareness, um, and raise a self-awareness around when it is healthy to dip and let go and be okay with um, with things, because I think part of the reason a lot of us struggle with this is because of this externalization of search for perfection, of search for what's right, of search for what's best, um, where really the answer is often just about coming home and checking in and doing that work, um, and getting to know ourselves, uh, I think there's absolutely a reason why Dr. Nicole Pereira's work is so powerful. Um, and I love meeting people like Colleen doing, um, the work she's doing to build, uh, community movements around helping people back to themselves. And, um, and I think all the more powerful when you've been through a real mess yourself, you know, this comes up a lot in the show, doesn't it? Let your mess be your message. And Colleen is one of those powerful individuals and beautiful humans who is showing up to do exactly that. So I'm going to hook into that uh, conversation in just a little minute. I want to remind you that it is now coming to the end of December. And if you have not made the most of this year's major sponsor, Oz Climate's special offer of 10% off with the code LOWTOXLIFE, this is for the Aussies, with uh, their incredible dehumidifiers and Winix air purifiers, then you are missing out. I mean, if you live somewhere uh, like on an agricultural property where even if you have an organic property or um, regenerative farming methods, maybe the neighbor doesn't and you have agricultural chemicals spraying around. Uh, if you live in, in, a, in a busy area in the inner city um, and its suburbs and there's quite a bit of pollution around, then the Winix air purifiers are fantastic. And the little compact ones, the four stage ones for the bedroom are actually quite cute as well. Often air purifiers are pretty ugly. So, you know, they work with the aesthetic of a nice bedroom, which I think is, you know, that's important to a bedroom space. And then, of course, there are their dehumidifiers. And you've heard me bang on about having a preventative mold prevention strategy, keeping your humidity under 60% indoors, checking what your regular humidity is with a hygrometer so that you know whether you might even need a dehumidifier. Some people live in dry climates, have uh, really dry houses because of their positioning and um, orientation. That's great. Good for you. And some people live in more humid areas or where there's a humid season and having 
um, dehumidifiers to prevent mold growth is fantastic. But one place that I am super passionate about doing that is in the bathroom. Forget the DNMs about how to clean mold out of grout. Let's not let it grow there in the first place. Running a little compact 16 liter dehumidifier for a couple of hours after the nighttime showers or morning, if that's what you guys do, is such a fantastic way to just dry that whole little room out. It's very easy to do because bathrooms are small and uh, and then you won't get the mold growing in the first place. So that's just one simple example of how wonderful it can be to have a dehumidifier. So code is Lotox Life, OzClimate, that's A-U-S, climate.com.au. And if you're not sure what to get, pop them an email, give them a phone call, and they'll talk you through your floor plan, climate, and what's going to be best for you. Now, speaking of what's best for us, let's have a look at what that might be with today's beautiful guest, Colleen Ryan Hensley. Hello, Colleen. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm wonderful. How are you? I'm great, thank you. And I'm super excited to have you on the show. Um, I just want to start by um, asking you about what led you to join the Navy for your country. I think that's an interesting story. And, you know, challenges around being a, a woman. And I think people often wonder about that and don't have the chance to ask. So I figured I'd ask you. Well, thank you so much for having me, Alex. Um, I grew up on my grandfather's sea stories, mm-hmm. World War II and Korea. And these are, you know, huge wars, but all of his stories were about world travel and camaraderie and the ships. I always, I was always really intrigued by life on board ships. Mm. Now he was a very traditional Italian man, you know, who grew up in the twenties and thirties and really didn't think women should be on ships, but <laughs> I showed him. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so I, uh, the ratio, I was on small ships, destroyers, uh, to around 300, 350 people on board. And the ratio was about eight to one, male to female. I really, I, um, I thrived in that environment really because I, I have a competitive spirit. And I think that going into that culture, I really, really latched on to the competitive spirit of everything, you know, the, the man's world type competitive spirit. And I was, I was really a great sailor, but pretty much an unfeeling robot, which made me a better sailor, I think. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So let's unpack unfeeling robot Mm, and have that played out for you then. Yes. Mm. (laughs) So, you know, I struggled with depression in my adolescence. My, uh, my parents were divorced. So it was just kind of, my dad leaving was actually a positive thing because the environment had become so toxic. Uh, my grandfather, you know, who was my hero passed away unexpectedly when I was 14 or 15. So really on the tail end of the divorce and us getting used to these new family dynamics and, so it was then that I started, you know, latching onto these escape mechanisms that we all use to avoid uncomfortable feelings. You know, I was drinking a lot as a teenager, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so becoming an unfeeling robot was actually helpful in that aspect. Yeah, so helpful. it was a coping mechanism almost. Yes, yeah. it was mm. a coping mechanism. Now, I didn't really like consciously like, you know, plan that. It's just what happened. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I think a lot of us, you know, in the military, I mean, a lot of us in general, but a lot of us in the military take on that, that kind of robotic, you know, conforming to this team environment and this mission oriented culture, because Mm -hmm. we have to be, you know, the mission comes first. Yeah. The need comes first. The comes in the world. Well, yeah, in business, yeah. the profit comes mm-hmm. first. The performance comes yes. first. The yes. Yes. Pleasing the shareholders comes first. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and so you mentioned drinking and, and coping. So there were obviously feelings there. Are you saying for you it was like that was your way of not having them come up to the surface to actually have to deal with? Uh, you know, seeing that now, I think a lot of it was the culture in itself. I started drinking in my teen years. I didn't join until I was 21. Mm-hmm. So that was when I was feeling physically and mentally ready to do something like that, to join the military. Um, and then the drinking, you know, just kind of came along with the culture as it does outside of the military as well, but maybe even more so within that environment. Uh, you know, the old adage of the drunken sailor is pretty yeah. accurate. Really? So, you didn't yeah. have like rations of gin or anything still though. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> They'd kind of given up on that part. Does your name, does your Navy? I think they, we get two beers every 45 days at sea. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah. there is some. So there is a ration. ration. Uh-huh. Yeah. But there are, you know, other countries, their ships, they have bars literally on board. Like, with wow. Stock. I know it's, it's interesting. It's uh-huh. interesting. Well, and I've, now, that's been a decade now since I've, maybe they're, you know, doing away with them. I'm not sure, but. Mm-hmm. Like, I think any kind of soldier, um, officer, uh, who is sent into these battles um like the it's so contrary to our modern over glorification of life over death you know what I mean like we, we've always lost that natural cycle and we're so obsessed with life and keeping things alive and not having things die um beyond the natural forces of such things and so I find then you plunge people into military service and naval service and like like death is sometimes the goal (laughs) so that would be even like that would be so hard to cope with and I could completely see how um how dysfunctional that could make people in especially yeah especially when the entire culture Mm. is really about not attending to those feelings Mm -hmm. that are working under the surface yeah yeah and and it's probably unsafe to allow officers and uh and soldiers to feel too much or analyze too much because questioning what we're doing is really not a good idea if we need to be unified to do the thing the thing that's an interesting perspective and you know a lot of the work that I do now with the program that I'm launching hashtag binging sober Mm. a big part of that for me is redefining exactly what you just said this mental toughness or this grit or this resilience that we're all supposed to have in you know, apart from the feelings and apart from all of these things, what you said is true. Like I, that makes sense to me. Like when we talk about it, that if we're thinking about it too much, maybe we won't 
perform our best. Mm. But the way that I'm seeing it now is that there is this whole untapped potential. Like what if we actually did attend to our human side? To me, that makes us better performers, but we haven't really caught up with that idea yet. So that's my mission. Yeah, I love it. And, And if you don't mind sharing, how bad did drinking get for you? Well, you know, drinking was just part of it. Um, When I talk about sober with hashtag binging sober, I'm talking about lack of intoxication from any of these escapisms that we tend to lean on to avoid these uncomfortable feelings. And drinking, you know, drinking led to one of the most life altering situations that I had in the military. I don't know if you read about that, but Mm -hmm. I had a trauma in the military because I was so, I took full responsibility. I had had so much to drink that I put myself in a terrible place. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible position. I took full responsibility, didn't report it and buried it, buried it, buried it. So there you go again, like these human feelings that I'm trapping inside this toxicity, right. That's like going to come out anyway. I mean, we can't, none of us can avoid (laughs) avoid that. And that's what we consistently do. I mean, that's, so that's what drives us to me. That's what drives us all to escape is that, you know, we're not accepting, like you're saying, like that we're not really accepting of, you know, what happens after this life. And I think the full experience of life requires that. And it also requires feeling the uncomfortable feelings. And if we're not doing that, if we're trying to bury it, it's acting up anyway. We're trying to avoid it. We're using all of these things to make us feel better. Binge watching TV, binge drinking, binge eating, binge shopping, binge, binging social media, you know, binge, binge, binge. And they're making us feel worse, but but they're so like accepted and habitual that a lot of us don't realize that. And so that to me is like the greatest threat to our mental health as a society. And honestly, I'm not sure you know, that trauma and my realizing it 15 years later and healing it, 15 years, it started coming up after I got out of the military and working with a therapist for other reasons, for just relationship reasons, reasons that were due to the trauma and then avoiding those feelings, you know, is impacting my relationships. You know, I said I was unfeeling. I was mean, like I was just mean. I couldn't get close to anyone and I didn't understand any of it. It's like, it was just happening to me. You know, it, I didn't have the awareness. Well, and then there's that victim well, mentality. And yes. yeah, well, that was a big challenge for me. It was mm-hmm. hard for me to even admit that that had happened because then I would have to be a, vic- a victim. Right. And I didn't want that at all. No. Well, you were brought up <laughs> literally um, take victims, not, um, not be one. And and that would be an uncomfortable struggle in itself. And I, how do you feel mental health is dealt with in the Navy um, in your country? You know, it's been 12 years since I've been out. Um, I do, I am aware of some things happening within the uh, US military right now in different programs, where they're at least talking, like starting to understand and attend to the human side of things, because they are realizing that, hey, you know, our suicide rates are, you know, our mental health challenges, all of these things are so blatantly obvious and uh, impacting the mission, impacting 
those who can serve impact, like it's such, it's so impactful. We can't even ignore it anymore. So there are programs going on within the military that are meant to be more proactive and preventative mental, mental health type programs that are really like strength based because, you know, you have to, um, for our, our tough minds, we have to be able to see it as a, as a strength. And that's, that's, to the point of what I'm saying about redefining mental toughness, going back to the feelings, going back to the painful feelings, going back to the trauma, revisiting in order to heal, that should be mental toughness. That is the toughest part. Avoiding the feelings is not tough. No, <laughs> to move. The only way out is through, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. So it's like we're missing half of mental toughness and to redefine it as that so that it's just the way that we approach things, the way that we approach the uncomfortable parts of life as just a part of life. Yeah, it's. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you do. And you're helping a lot. I of do. People. I do. You know, <laughs> thank you. Yes, um, I should say I, I should say I do know, but I don't know. Like, it's just it's a deep, deep rooted, you know, challenge. Mm, that's it. So I it's do massive. know that these conversations just keep having them, you know, to yeah, that's it. dig all of that out and up. And I'm thinking about the stats, like in Australia, it's, um, we've only got 27 million people and yet we've got like around a million um, slightly more who have addictions to various supplement uh, supplements, no substances. Um, it'd be good if they had addictions to supplements instead. Um, and in America, I think it's around twenty three million. Am I right? It's, There's something. It's about ten percent. Ten percent. Well, I'm. I'm of the adult population. I'm thinking like co like dip, like um, substance abuse with a mental health with a mental illness, right? Like that. Kind of thing. Yeah, that combination. Um, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's about ten percent mm. that consider themselves depressed. It's like three hundred million plus around the world. Hectic. Hectic. And I understand depression. I've lived it since I was, you know, a a teenager, and I really, to me, it's become, and maybe it's the way that I cope with it, which I think it's fine. But having that has really given me the perspective to experience this like breadth and depth of emotion. Again, like we're talking about like the painful stuff and the hard stuff and the difficult stuff and the stuff that we're, all of us are guilty of trying to push away and not accept as just part of it. That's what also gives us the joy, the happiness, the Mm -hmm. elation, you know, you can't have one without the other. So I just, you know, walking around numb was it's what I was doing for so long because, um, it was survival, you know, for me. And you can cope if you're numb or if you're flat. Yeah. Um, you can cope, but you're, are you really living? Yeah, that's it. (laughs) That's exactly right. And so what do you attribute some of the big, uh, maybe there weren't big moments where maybe it was lots of tiny little things, um, that helped you move through to a full, fuller spectrum of feelings um, in a healthy way, because that in itself can be tricky to navigate. Yeah. Well, I noticed. So when I was in the Navy, um, 
I would, if I were home and like in home port, so I was stationed in um, Everett, Washington, then I was stationed in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. And so when I was home, I was abusing these things. I was really like abusing escapism as my social life was, you know, party town central and I was just abusing alcohol. And I was also running and working out like a fanatic, which, you know, we consider really healthy, but this was over the top, um, like that kind of thing. And it was just me avoiding, avoiding, avoiding. Well, when I went out to sea, you know, and I was away from the access to those things that I was using, I was still running, but, um, I started to notice, you know, if I was on, on the ship for three, five, seven days, months, I would, not be using any of those things. So I would started to notice a really big difference. This is where the idea of sober binges came from for me. It was something that I unknowingly carried outside of the military. And I would feel myself low energy, kind of just, just toxic energy. Like I would just feel that and say, Hey, wait a minute, you know, let's lay off some of these things. And really I was pulling from the experience of having been on the ship. And as I started to do that, that was really giving, it was allowing me to start feeling all of these things I had never felt before. I mean, it was so foreign. It was so foreign to me to actually have these feelings, good and bad, because I had been numb for so long. And so I started, I'm a huge advocate for mental health counseling. And I started with a counselor, but under the guise of life coaching. She was a licensed counselor, but, you know, life coaching felt better to me at the time. And so it was having, getting the tools from, you know, someone who's trained and educated to start working through, you know, some of those emotions. That's what was truly, truly helpful for me. And just talking about feelings. I mean, it's something that I didn't grow up doing. It's something that a lot of us have started to doing, started to do in this country. You know, people are getting more and more comfortable with it. I've noticed my children who are, you know, 22, actually 23 today. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah. 23, 20 and 18. They're all way more open than I was at their age. Like, able to talk about those things. And there's a certain power in that when we're able to like get, you know, all of the stuff that lives in there. And we can, if we're only thinking about it to ourselves, we're in the echo chamber of other people who aren't going to like, um, aren't going to help us to see things differently. Like, like, a um, what's the word? Like, aren't going to really, uh, confront, or tell you that you're wrong about your feelings. So it just becomes like an echo chamber. Then you're never really getting them out and you're never really processing them. And so, you know, just the simple act of starting to talk about it in therapy and I would journal and and just really, really starting to embrace them just because I realized that that was a, it, it was reinforcing of itself because it just felt like a fuller, more real life than I had been living. Even if it was a bad feeling, I just grabbed onto it. Yeah. Wow. And and what do you think attributed giving you the safety to do that? Like, was it like a little, um, is it like you, I think you alluded to it before where you started to just notice 
you'd feel a bit better in these situations versus those situations when those substances weren't there or you weren't in that situation. Do you think that's what gave you the the like green light to start exploring feelings as well? Because initially yeah. it sounded more physical. Like yes. I know that my body feels better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good. Yeah, exactly. My body felt better. But then I was like, wait a minute, what's really happening here? You know, there are a couple of really big things that supported the safety. And I love that you brought that up, because that was like the turning point for me. And I remember my therapist at the time that I had started, you know, having flashbacks of the trauma and things like that. And she said, I felt really weird about it. And it took a really long time for me to say it to her. So I was just kind of like, working around it and saying things kind of around it. And she said, you know, a lot of times just because we need to survive, we won't process a trauma until we we feel safe to do it. And so since I was still in the Navy and I was had repressed it, I didn't feel safe to do it. It's like my brain itself, once I got out of the Navy, was like, Ooh, okay, guess what? Now you can now you can deal with this. And so that's when I started having flashbacks and nightmares and started being like really hypervigilant and like not feeling safe. Well, I attribute most, I mean, 99% of my healing to my relationship with my husband because my now husband, when I met him, you know, I told you, I had a really hard time connecting with people. I couldn't feel love. I couldn't like give love. I didn't understand what love was like all of those things because I'd been unfeeling for so long. And when I met him, there was something just really special and an instant connection that I really couldn't even like, I mean, if you met us, you would say, oh yeah, they're a good match. But both of us had our traumas. He was also in the Navy. We didn't know each other in the Navy. Um, Yeah. But he, there was just something that I didn't want to sabotage. And that's what I had done in every other relationship. And so there was just a moment where I was like, okay, I want this connection really badly. And if I continue just on my natural, like this, this uh, process, this pattern that I keep repeating, I'm going to lose him. So I've got to face these things. And that's where I really started to do the work in therapy. And outside of therapy too, because I did a lot of things on my own, a lot of thinking and journaling and reflection and those types of things. Going back to the pain. I went back to the pain. I did the tough part. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and the tough part is often just recognizing the fullness of the, 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 the intensity of it. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, um, uh, we went through a couple of really tough years. I went through an especially tough year because it was happening to me with mold illness. Um, so we were in a water damaged building and it was affecting me really, really badly. Huge amounts of symptoms, neurological, um, heart-wise, and literally thought I, uh, if if this keeps getting as bad as it's getting as fast as this is going, I'm going to die soon. Like, And no one could tell me why. And, um, and being alone in that space of like medical mystery, uh, and, and feeling as sick as I felt and then still having a son to get to school and dinner to cook and all the things, um, I don't even think I know now just how intense that time, like I'm trying to dig around and get to know it better. Um, but it's so hard when you've been through something really hard 
that you get through um, in in the um, practical sense of getting through it um, to to revisit it fully when 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 you were there you weren't even fully in it because you were so busy trying to get out of it if that makes sense yeah absolutely that makes sense yeah huge go away you know completely the trauma Mm. but it's now it feels separate almost like more separate like it's lost a lot of power yes that's it Yeah. yeah And so you obviously at some point wanted to turn toward helping other people. Um, what did that, uh, how did you decide what that was going to look like? Well, I started to realize that I was living or, you know, I had adopted this new process of, you know, stepping away from these things that I was leaning on for escape if I noticed that I wasn't feeling well, like just not feeling well, tired, sick any of these things, you know? And so I started to formalize the process that I had been living naturally just from being, like I said, you know, the sober binges on the ship and then just coming out and really continuing that kind of pattern. And I started to really think about it and be intentional about it a few years ago, uh, right, right around the time that I started looking at my trauma and really started, you know, working through that. Um, There was so much, so much emotion and so much intensity that I, to do something like to spend all day watching TV to, you know, to lean on alcohol, it was just, it, it would take me down the spiral to the bad place. I've, I've dealt with suicidal thoughts and those kinds of things. And now all of the work that I've done, and even then a few years ago, they've just become really big red flags. It's not like, I don't judge myself. I've taken away the judgment. I, you know, hope that all of us can start talking about it more because it's something that a lot of us think about. And, you know, it can just be a really big red flag to say, Hey, change something about what you're doing. So that, you know, that I noticed that that was a part of the pattern that if I, you know, as I was dealing with the trauma and working through it, that it would just make me feel a whole lot worse if I were leaning on those things. So I stopped for periods that I knew I couldn't do it. Um, And then as part of just my healing, you know, to talk about it is so much more healing. It, continues to take away the power. And, and I hope that, you know, just somebody hearing anything that's coming out of my mouth about this, it could, you know, flick a switch or like a a light bulb, you know, and, and inspire someone else to look at theirs and then share their story. Like, I just, I just feel like that web, like that, you know, the, what's it called? The, the effect that one oh, the ripple effect have. yeah yeah the ripple mm. effect. thank you the one to many you know like, web network you know? playing charades <laughs> yeah no I totally agree and I think there's been a real trend towards more um body uh, and sense sensory um releasing of trauma in recent years through Um, trauma release exercises, meditation, a whole bunch of um, 
of modalities that have been brought onto the scene as tools. But I, I agree with you. I think talking is important if part of what is wrong is that you never acknowledged how bad you felt in the first place. I think for this group of people, it is key to actually dig around and feel the feelings because then the low brings um, the repair work and the desire to to repair um, once you have the full truth of the matter, you know. If you've gone through it in a coping mechanism where you've essentially just bottled everything up, uh, I don't think it's necessarily fully healing to never have actually unpacked that. I don't know. I think I'm not a mental health professional. You are, but. Um, My background is in performance psychology. Yeah, so yeah. Performance. Mm, Interesting. And so, something I found curious when I was um, preparing for our chat today is that you don't necessarily define sobriety as like this cold turkey regime where, like, you're not touching anything ever again. Can you talk about uh, about that? Yes. So. Sobriety, when it comes to hashtag binging sober, is about taking time away, stepping back from those things that we're habitually using to escape that we may, you know, a lot of times it's not even conscious. We're not even aware that we're doing this because these these things are so accepted by society and we have so much access to them, especially after the pandemic. I don't know how you all are doing in Australia, but we can have anything delivered to our house oh yeah that really got taken up a notch you can have anything delivered in 10 minutes if you live in a city oh my gosh yeah Mm. and then we're isolating more you know the the recipe is just not the greatest right now and so for me and my experience with this it's that I have taken you know months off of doing things like say alcohol I've taken months off Um, I've, I've taken, you know, I've been really, really intentional about not watching TV. TV is one of my biggest, like, that's one of my biggest, like, if I'm watching a lot of TV, I'm avoiding something. I mean, it Uh, might as well be, it might as well be drugs or alcohol. Like it's, it can be that we have almost a million. There's like 815,000 shows streaming right now. Why is that necessary? Like, why is that even necessary? Yeah. I like, I was thinking about that when I was a kid, you knew the names of all the shows, whether you watched them or not, you knew all of them. You knew what time they were on, what day they were on. And now, you know, I sound so old in saying that probably a 17 year old's probably listening to me right now going, how boring. <laughs> oh no, but that is that there, there is the point. That's not boring. Like right now we are just not living our, a real life. That's what hashtag binging sober. It's about seeing those like taking time off even a day. I've been doing this for so long now, even 24 hours of laying off something that you've been using so habitually that you may not even notice it the impact that it's having on your brain, your mind, your body, your just energy, everything could be more intense than you think. You've given me an idea then. So um, 
we give them modern names like digital detoxes, right? But would binging sober include a day with absolutely no exposure to social media, for example? Yes, yes. And it would include a night where you don't just sit down on the couch, put on the TV and watch something? You can just do it for a night. But then, right, a night seems so much more um, digestible, right, than thinking, I'm never going to do this again. (laughs) Alex, if you tell me not to have popcorn, I'm just going to think about the popcorn. This is just how we work. But once you start doing this and the other big portion of this is not just laying off of it, but then reflecting, making sure that you're really connecting with yourself to notice how you feel because you laid off of this. Mm. So that's a big part of this. Again, awareness, control, and balance to learn yourself and what impacts you a certain way. Like the TV could be my red flag, but for you, maybe you're, you already have it under control. You're fine. Like, you know, so everything is really individual, But we tend to, you know, another big part of it is the judgment that we have ourselves for doing this. So once you really learn all of those things, like you're saying, like a digital detox or laying off social media, laying off caffeine, like laying off, like just any of these things, it's just really about bringing that awareness and then also bringing more awareness to the things that you may or may not already be doing that can reverse the impact of the things that you may be doing that are draining your energy. Because the goal here is to balance energy, just to balance it. We don't have to be running around at a, you know, 10 miles per hour all the time, you know, like we're on fire with crazy energy. I'm just talking about balance. But a lot of are walking around tired, depressed, sick, like all of these things. And I, it's because we're, we're trying to use these things to escape these bad feelings and they're making us feel worse. And we do it over time for so long that you're just stuck in it. You're stuck in that downward spiral. And so it's really about reversing that and just bringing the awareness. What I've noticed is, is that now I, and Like I said, when I left the Navy, I was like, wait a minute, I need to take some time off of these things. I started craving the sober binges. So now it's the opposite. I crave the sober binges more than craving the escape a lot of times. And if I'm not, if I notice that I'm spiraling, that's when I turn it around. And that's what the the, uh, hashtag binging sober is launching in January as a community. And you can go it alone if you'd like, because the instructional videos and the, you know, downloadables and things, the tools will be available. In the end, you'll have like your own personal recipe of personal recipe, like you, like what impacts you so that you know that if you do want to say, have a glass of wine, okay, well, how is that going to make you feel in the morning? It gives you power to know to really have paid attention enough to know and say, okay, I'm going to do this anyway. Well, then now you know what else you can do to make yourself feel better because of it, to reverse impact. Yeah. And and to to make things um, not um, uh, escapism, essentially, but um, intentional choices from time to time. Yes. Which is, yeah. Do you feel like that's the end healthiest mental um, picture where um, like, because it's, I always say to people, you know, who are going low tox and changing all the things, 
Like you always got to keep a small percentage of integration, go with the flow, um, because I feel like by keeping that 5%, 10%, it looks different for everybody, um, the shame, the guilt, the perfectionism and then the negative aspects of perfectionism don't have a, have such a, a tendency to come back um, because you're like, you know what, I'm at my friend's house, she's made this beautiful cake, this occasion is about love, I'm totally having a slice of it and I don't care where the colour for the icing came from today, you know, where I normally would if I was baking at home and I would choose something different. Um, right now I'm actually choosing to honour different parts of this experience as so healthy that that, that part doesn't um, bother me so much. Like I would imagine ha having a tradition, getting together with a girlfriend and watching your favourite show once a week. Like I remember doing that in my 20s and it was so special and fun and then we would chat for hours afterwards. So watching the show isn't bad. Uh, you know, binging on your favourite show that comes out every Monday was not a bad thing. It was part of actually a really part healthy of, experience. Part of a whole. Life. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, so exactly. it wasn't the whole thing. And yeah. that's what we're trying to redefine, right? Yes. And mm. to say, you just said it, experience life like as a whole. And I feel like a lot of us are living so passively with these escapisms, with these habits that are just, we're not really actively participating. Mm. So yes, intention is a huge part of this. And to have the awareness to educate yourself on what you're actually doing to yourself instead of just being on some kind of autopilot of just using and consuming yeah. is a very different life. And that's, you know, I know that there are people who do need the complete abstinence and yes. I 100% support that. And I hope that this inspires that as well. Yeah. You know, it like a safe place to come and experiment with, you know, the things that you're using, like, you know, take it away for a little bit and just, you don't have to identify as having a problem in order to come to the community and, and, and work through it together and learn about yourself and the things that you're, you know, using and consuming and how that they're, how they're making you feel. So I feel like my hope is that it's very accessible and, and inspires healing to a greater degree than someone can even imagine just taking a day off from <laughs> from social media you know I mean it's just it's a really simple starting place yeah that's it and I think social media gets this blanket ban bad rap for mental health but if I think about all the different ways one can interact, one can interact in a spirit of meanness and just like get all their meanness out with outrage. And there's that, yeah, that's, of course, that's not healthy. One can then just scroll and observe for hours and hours and not participate. Yeah, that's probably unhealthy as well. But then you have communities where you're all support. Like I think of my membership community and everyone's like, guys, I'm tossing up between this mattress and this mattress. Has anyone had any? Like that's a that's like a, 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 um, a meeting space uh, where people can come together and support each other, right? So that's not unhealthy. Um, and, and I think we need to actually look now that we have this whole new communication world, um, look at pros, cons, um, when it's feeling healthy, when it's not just like we do in real life interactions. Does this feel toxic? Does it not? You know, am I feeling ashamed? Am I feeling 
good when I step away from this activity um, and bringing that to social media so we actually analysing it a little bit more discerningly rather than, oh, being online is bad because being online is actually part of our modern world and it's then bringing shame into it if we... Yeah. Right, that's it. Yeah. So um, that's, a, that's a big part of this is yeah. the, the judgment that goes along with it. I mean, if you are passively using these things and judging them all as bad, I mean, that's mm. a totally different experience than if you're really paying attention and intentionally using them. And, you know, yeah. I mean, video games, are they inherently bad? No, but it's a matter, you know, all of it, we could argue yes. that for every single escapism, is it inherently bad? No, it's, it's your interaction with it. Yeah, and actually, it's funny you bring up video games and you've been through three teenagers recently, So, and I have one just starting his teenage journey. We were at the doctor's for our annual checkup, you know, get some bloods done, check in, um, say hi, and the one of his questions in checking in was around video games. Oh, wow. And which I thought, oh, this is very good. Good on you, Tick. Um, and he said, I just have one question for you. If I say the video games own me or I own the video games, which one do you identify with? And said just straight away said, I own the video games. I like play them a couple of times on the holidays. Um, uh, If it's Sunday afternoon and we've got nothing to do, my mum's competitive. And so we sit down and play Mario Kart for a few rounds. Like it's just, it's something in the background that's like, oh, yeah, you know um and that's how it was for me as a kid as well and I was just so happy that that even came up in a doctor's setting to just check in on on that from a um, mental health perspective I guess it speaks to how big it is in the teenage world yeah yeah um and so is the goal you have a you have a point system which I think is kind of cool um is the goal to actually simply become so aware of what like lifts you up, what takes you down into numbness um, and comfortable with the light and shades of life. Like that's what oh I'm getting gosh, from I you. Ooh, I love that how you put that. Yes. That's yeah, exactly. I, I feel like that's where you're trying to lead us here. Mm, yeah. And so how do we score ourselves? What is this point system? Well, that I will be releasing in January. It is a process where you do score yourself. That is very important to understand. It is very individual. It is a very individual process. It's a process that can be redone over time because we change over time. So the thing, how things impact us are going to change over time. And so it's a continual process, a process, a practice. It's not like a hard science, like it's a process. It's something that uh, when applied can really instantly make you feel better. So long as, I mean, like, and a lot of that comes from the intentional, you know, the intentional interactivity with your own life. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. I, I'm really excited for, for what you're doing here. Um, and so how do we connect with it? Like it's it's obviously all around the corner. Uh, and I, I dare say people listening um, would be thinking, yeah, there's probably some big feelings that I ignore sometimes or, yeah, probably that six o'clock wine is a little too important to me and I need to look at that or 
Yeah, I've actually become uh, massively into TV shows um, and every single night that's what I do. Um, and and so there'd be, and then there'd be people who'd feel really genuinely down right now and need some support. So I'd imagine a lot of people would be attracted to this for different reasons. How do we actually connect with your work? So you can sign up for updates on the launch on Colleen Ryan Hensley. That's H-E-N-S-L-E-Y.com. I'm on Instagram at Colleen Ryan Hensley. And you can follow the hashtag binging sober on Instagram. Brilliant. I love this anti-escapism culture you're building. I think it's really powerful. I hope it's more of, I think that, you know, that word's been coming up a lot lately Mm -hmm. and it's really more about, because I think that we're all going to be driven to escape. I mean, like, like you're saying, it's like, you know, there are different levels of that, but part of the whole experience is being okay and not feeling shame Mm -hmm. around wanting to, you know, enjoy something that you may or may not right now consider bad, like the icing on the cake, like you're talking about. But this is what I mean. It's like it doesn't become escapism then. It just becomes a free choice Mm -hmm. um, rather than a, um, uh, a like, oh, I'm sick of eating healthy. I'm going to have this. You know, that's that's very different things, (laughs) right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not doing that to escape anything. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it just to make a choice right then in that moment and, and to be fully aware of that choice the potential ramifications, 100% okay with that, knowing that most of our meals are home-cooked and organic. And so that's why I'm totally okay with that. And I think that's a pretty positive place to land as a human in a world that's constantly trying to productize, making us not (laughs) okay with who we are Mm -hmm. so that we buy something to not be the person that we are. Like it just, it's, it's gotten very messy out there, hasn't it? It's, it's, mm. it's pretty messy. That's why we need to, you know, take the reins ourselves mm. for sure. Yeah. And in helping people with performance, uh, you, you know, you've studied through sports psychology and personal development um, and quite a few different angles. What, what do you, if you had to pick a couple of the tools that you have found the most helpful for moving people um, through difficult times and into feeling their best selves, what would you like to leave us with today uh, as being really powerful that people could maybe start thinking about and integrating? Yes, I think that, you know, along with this whole process of hashtag binging sober, one of the most important things that comes along with that awareness or one of the most vital tools of all of awareness is to first understand that there are things that are out of our control. Mm. There are also things that are 100% within our control. And I think a lot of times we don't take the time to really look at what those things are for us. Mm. So we have, you know, if you go into your day with, you know, a full cup of energy, whatever that is for you, let's just say it's a hundred percent. If you are, either intentionally or not just kind of subconsciously thinking about or wasting energy, draining energy on those things you can't control Mm. to put the awareness around what those things are and the things that you can control, turn all of that hundred percent of that energy onto the things that you can control and your life will become very different instantly. I've seen that happen too 
a lot of people, because if we are living in this kind of a, a passive, just go with it kind of a place, then, you know, your energy can be going to a lot of things that, that you'll never be able to impact. So to turn all of it onto things that you can impact is a very powerful tool. So powerful. My gosh, I was just thinking about Twitter and spending time on Twitter and people engaging, myself included sometimes, in things that are completely beyond your control. And that can lead to feelings of helplessness, um, hopelessness, anger at the world. Anxiety. Um, I mean, your anxiety levels are out of control right now. That's yeah. it. But you go and you help someone or you help yourself by doing something really good for you that you love and tuning into that. Um, that is powerful. And that is a collective ripple that then has a beautiful ripple. effect. Yeah. <laughs> the ripple's back. There you go. <laughs> Uh, I love it. So good. Well, I wish you all the best with what you are doing here. I think it's a very fresh take on, um, on, on finding a place to land that feels really comfortable in your own skin um, because absolute protocols, complete cold turkeys, black and white is not necessarily for everyone. And as you said, it is for some people and what you're trying to create is a space where everybody finds what fits for them. And, and I think that's really beautiful, Colleen. So thank you for what you're bringing to the world. Well, thank you so much, Alex. And thanks for your willingness to talk about this today. It's been fun. Oh, the, like you said, right at the start, the more we talk, the better everything gets. So thank you. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life. Uh, and of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a low-tox life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Low-Tox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US, about €27 Euro and about £25. You get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.